Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis, brought to you by Nova Entertainment. In this episode, I speak with brother directing duo Jonathan and Josh Baker, whose debut feature film Kin, with Zoe Kravitz, Jack Raynard, James Franco, Dennis Quaid, and newcomer Miles Truitt, is currently playing in cinemas around the world. They discuss their approach to directing, turning down a $70 million movie before they even had an agent, and the genesis of their creativity. Both Jonathan and Josh give their insights about career development, where they started, and the honest advice they'd tell themselves five or ten years ago if they could. So for these Aussies currently killing it on the world stage, you'll get a sense of their humility and a courage of convictions above all else. A welcome respite from the diluted filmmaking landscape that explains what makes their movie Kin so unique. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Uh, the second guy that you just heard was Josh. The first guy that you heard. Do we have was... to do that every time? <laughs> I don't think so. But you guys sound similar, so we do. I don't. I'm, we'll just assume that you guys can take uh, the advice and all of the insights that you gather from this. The next forty minutes or so, um, basically, is the expression of, of both of you guys. Would and, you say and, that's yeah, make up, make up yeah. who said what? Do you guys exactly. you used to sort of identify yourselves as twin? Yeah, we, so still, still... we still do. It's kind of two entities. We we are twin for advertising okay. for commercials, uh, which is kind of you know a nice little director duo, and yeah. we have a name and a logo and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then for films, we wanted to separate ourselves from that entity slightly, and so that we have two things playing at the same time, and okay. we're just Jonathan and Josh Baker. For, right. For films. Okay, and who's what was the choice with who got to be number one? Uh, it's yeah. alphabetical. Okay, all right. At least it's down, you know meritocratic that way. <laughs> um, so, guys, I start off my interviews with the same four questions. Usually, I only interview one person, but we'll see about maybe we'll split them up between yeah. the two of you, yeah. um, as honestly as possible, right in the moment. What do you think, feel, need, and want? What do we think, feel? need and want aside from the air conditioning being maybe a need right now <laughs> exactly um, or, that's more of a want yeah actually. okay well the want is to go into the pool outside <laughs> exactly. um, what are maybe what do we what do we think around? um i i was gonna start i yeah, feel yeah. um it's tricky i think we've had a blast promoting this film for the last two weeks uh or maybe more three weeks and you it's apply it all to the movie. Uh, no, no, but that's um, my head, like, We are mm-hmm. in the movie right now, yeah. and so it's all coming to a close, and so um, things are getting quieter for that right now, and that's definitely affecting the way what we do you mean think. Quieter, yeah, because the movie's dropped, oh, right, okay. and and yep. you know it'll slowly peter off to nothing, right. and then overnight it'll be the movie's over, mm-hmm. and you're on to the next thing. All so. Right. That's definitely invaded our thought space a lot. So that's I'm very much thinking about the movie coming to an end. If you evolve that into feel, I guess we feel very mixed on the whole experience because there's a bit of sadness that's coming yeah, coming to an end. Almost a bit of an end. Uh, it's been the last three years of our life, and we've dedicated as much sort of thought space and uh, soul space as possible mm-hmm. to this thing. And so that is sad that you got to now put it to bed and go, it's out there, it's its own, it has its own life, and on to the next, what is next? Yeah, we were talking to a bunch of directors yesterday, and, the, and one of them had an opinion about a film, that when you finish a film, 
it feels like you're saying goodbye to a friend that you know very mm. well and then you'll probably see them once or twice again and you'll be like hey how you doing like and you know someone will talk to you about the movie and you go oh, that's right that movie but it feels like you're saying goodbye to something and so that's definitely where our headspace is right now so think feel what's next need and want need and want that's a tricky one um often i find that my needs and my wants kind of line up a lot of the time um i would think so as well that you're both fathers and you gain some perspective over like over time definitely getting older getting more mature that you're no longer needing to want to have fun as most people do yeah, when they definitely you're right definitely. i think if you break it down probably my needs are a little bit more family based and my wants are a little more professional based yeah and i, I think that. needs take uh, priority over once mm-hmm. most of the time even though it doesn't always end up that way yeah it was interesting we were in New York recently for to promote the film and we both used to live there for nine years so almost a decade mm-hmm. in New York and it was very much like part of our personality the city and no it, hint of a loss of your Aussie accent by the way oh that's good cool. that's a, yeah. some people say there is that's so. great news thank you <laughs> um, and and I feel like it's been a while since we've been there and going back in the last couple of weeks, it felt like a very different place to me. It felt like we transitioned on. I've had a kid recently. Yeah. Um, I'm in a different frame of mind with a movie coming out and going back to New York felt like a deja vu of I've been here. I've, my heart and soul is here, but I don't think I need to be here anymore. A little step back in time in a way. It felt like a very young city to me. It felt like a, a lot of people um, all hustling mm. and and people could say that about LA as well but Definitely. I feel like New York is very much a hustle town and it's party town and people are all, it, everyone's running around doing their little thing and it felt very like okay I'm gonna back away slowly and you guys keep doing your thing I'm going home and do you think you've arrived at that place of almost resigned acceptance because now you've got that feature under your belt and you know what it's like, and you're, you're reached a point where you're no longer hustling and dreaming as much. And uh, No, definitely not. We're, you we're hungry dudes. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we've always been that way, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. But the, it, I think there's a confidence that comes from directing a movie. You've put th- three and a half years of your life into one project, and you've thought every thought you could possibly think about that entity. Mm-hmm. And it's time for something new. And and so I feel like we've matured as directors. I feel like we've probably matured as people. I feel like our relationship has matured. And it's all because of this one silly project that we just spent three and a half years of our life on. It's crazy. Yeah, would you say that it's a silly project though? Oh, no. I'm just, just, I'm just saying in the grand yeah. scheme of life, it's yeah. like we've just put there's a whole bunch of time things. into yeah. like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's way more important things. But no, it didn't feel silly at the time. It still doesn't. It's yeah. just, uh, it's a movie. It's, yeah, it, it is, is what it is. It is what it is. You guys had an interesting start. So you worked in Australia and then you realized at some point back in 2007 that you wanted to make the jump. Because mm-hmm. there's a certain ceiling in the Australian industry, obviously, yep. as we all know. Definitely. And uh, you felt the pull to New York over LA. Uh, I'm guessing was that a, that was a gut instinct thing for both of you? That, I think that was a cultural thing and it was uh, what New York stands for versus what LA stands for. Yeah. Um, I think we just wanted to really experience in our sort of mid to late 20s living and breathing that city before we knew that maybe the end game would bring us to LA. We'd, anyway. end, we'd end up here mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. There, there's a... There's a cinematic quality to New York City that is unlike anything yes. else in the world. Very Everyone's true. well aware of that. Yeah. 
it's represented in all the movies we grew up with, all of that stuff. And I feel like we wanted to experience that firsthand before we knew that in the next 10 years we would probably have kids and, and families had become more of what we're focusing on. And so, yeah, it kind of played out perfectly for us. We moved there in 2007. Uh, we got out of there in 2015-ish. Uh, and now it just feels like a chapter of our life that was New York City, mm. which is awesome. And I think like many of the other things we do, we try to avoid what the general populace is doing a lot of the time. Not necessarily just to be different for the sake of it, but just because it's it's maybe more interesting to do things that are slightly more unique. Yeah. And so I think that move, just like the stories we like to tell, uh, had something to do with that. Like mm-hmm. a lot of Australians we knew were probably moving to LA and we're just like, well, we want to do this other thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, cool. There's a theme with the stories that you want to tell on that comment. Um, with watching even your earlier work, you can get a sense of it from like the little short films that you've done mm-hmm. before Kin. There's, which isn't surprising given that you're two guys, um, but there's the themes of sci-fi and masculinity and the push and pull almost. There's a undercurrent of darkness as a through line in all of your work. What do you explain that or attribute that to? Uh, and is that just something that, that you're still actively pursuing? And I think it's part of our taste as filmmakers. Um, dark pretty things have always intrigued us and so we gravitate towards emotional stuff but also it needs to be a little gritty if it's too saccharine and too sickly sweet i i don't know if we really get down with that both in our commercial work and our more longer form storytelling stuff but i don't know we we like things that play off childhood nostalgia we like things that have uh, a general kind of emotion to them. Um, we, when we started doing advertising, we didn't get offered a lot of the work that was emotional. We got a lot of mm. the visual, visual effects based work, and it was a very distinct part of. And that was a background for both of you. Yeah, because we okay. came from post production, and we were motion graphics designers, and so the visual side of things was key. That was our yeah. number one priority. Was the visual side of things until we became directors where storytelling and character and emotion took over and we realized that stuff's got more substance behind it. But like Josh was saying, things that are very emotional and have their heart on their sleeve but are done in a slightly sort of elevated, sophisticated, grounded, grounded, darker sort of tone Mm. is just where both our heads are at. I think that's what excites us about you know, movies like Children of Men and, right. and and stuff because they have got like a real sense of heart and humanity mm-hmm. and intimacy to it, but it's not like this gigantic sort of sci-fi movie. It's mm-hmm. a very subtle. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think a traditionally Disney esque story is in our future. Okay, um, but I think ones that maybe take a flavor of that and go a little darker and a little rawer would be in our future. And that's kind of the stuff that we gravitate towards for our own ideas, uh, for film projects and and TV stories and all that type of stuff. I think if it doesn't have heart, it just becomes too cold and robotic. And that's, we're not really interested in that. And that's why I guess we got out of visual effects specifically is because a lot of that stuff tended to be, um, style over substance. Exactly. Completely. Completely. Yeah, and and also why we probably won't go into um, very sort of darker genre stuff either, because we've never been horror guys or gore guys or 
you know, one of the best horror movies I've ever seen was Get Out, and that's because it had this real humanity mm. at its heart, you mm. know. And a biting and, social commentary yeah, to it. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I don't see us ever doing, like, a Saw movie or anything like that. Just, it's just not where our heads are. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, obviously, I understand where the pull to New York was then, with mm. the darkness and the, and the grit. It's yeah. as if you've always yeah, had that sure. in a really effective way. Um, going to the move, to your move to New York and how you landed there, I would say from the interviews that I've read, pretty fairly easily with you getting an opportunity to direct a really awesome commercial straight off the bat after you moved there. Mm. You signed up to a production company. Yeah, that and happened then, quite quick. Yeah. Well, uh, the production company Having laid the inroads in Australia. Yeah, yes. no, yeah, no yeah. definitely. So so we we directed for a decent amount of years in Australia, but not for that long. But um, we did that separately. We did a few uh, music videos and stuff together, you know, things that... Guy Sebastian videos, stuff like that. There was cool. just kind of mess around. Um, Guy was a friend, and so we, we worked with him. Um, but then we decided in 2007 that joining up made a lot of sense because we both wanted to go to New York. We could put our reels essentially together, so we mm-hmm. combined all our work, and then suddenly we look like this powerhouse team that where you guys come from. I've never does, that seen any of to, does that mean you have to split the salary then? If uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, in commercials. Yeah. That's, that's annoying that's, as hell. That's part yeah. of the sacrifice of working with family is that mm. you, know, you are treated as one entity, right. which in many ways is great. But financially, yeah, we make half as much as mm. other directors. Right. Wow. But it's just, it's a sacrifice. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's priorities. Um, yeah. And so we joined up with a production company in New York and started looking at scripts and, and doing commercials. And it was, like you're saying, the second ad that we basically got awarded was this decent sized over a million dollar job for Auto Trader. Mm. And it was fun. It wasn't really our style. It felt very American when we were doing it. Mm-hmm. We were like, this thing. Which was part of the novelty, actually, yeah. at the time. It's, it's like, pretty glossy and there's a decent amount of visual effects. We work with the guys at Framestore in um, in New York and they're really, really talented. And we've worked with them a million times since. But that was, it felt like a big job for us. And once that one came out, uh, yeah. You realize people are watching. And Can we still see it? Is it on, uh, is it's around? probably around. It's probably okay. on YouTube. It's it was called Big Guy. Don't, don't talk it up too much. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it was it's, ten years ago, guys. Yeah, uh, Technology yeah, has changed more. a lot. Uh, Two thousand. No, it was ten years ago. Okay. So, yeah, it was. Uh, it was wasn't an amazing ad, but it had some big visual stuff in it, and this producer saw it and basically wanted to offer us a movie straight off the bat for mm. it because it, there was some very similar technique he, The story goes that he flew from LA yeah, to meet did. you in New York. It's he pretty did. incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, and for like two Australians that hadn't been in New York that mm. long, that had no ties to Hollywood whatsoever, mm. uh, it, that was like, wow, this is how it works. Yeah. And he came into our office and just said, what do you think? I want to offer you this movie. And we'd read the script and it was a multi-million dollar. No, it was, it was, it was, I, 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 I say a hundred million dollars. Probably realistically 70 or something. Yeah. It was a very high million dollar production (laughs) animate, uh, animated or live action. I can't remember. Yeah. But maybe mix of animation and live action. It was a kid's movie. and we Has it been made yet? No. no. Okay. No, no, oh, hey, guys. No, never got done. The potential. Well, we turned it down once <laughs> already. <laughs> Can't do it a second time. Um, and and it, it had a certain uh, style about it that was very kidsy, and it wasn't really something that we were looking at doing. And we've always been very careful about our first project of just you can't just jump on anything because then you get boxed really quickly and everyone loves to put people in boxes. And so especially coming from advertising where mm. there's 
so many genres of ads from comedy ads to road trip ads to you know big visual effects ads and you end up getting boxed very easily in that, right. that kind of thing and you, you, do, you do one thing well and suddenly you can't you're doing see that. anything else like even as sort of select as like a dancing car citron ad and suddenly that's literally all you see mm. yeah and so which makes i guess in a risk it does industry it, it does. just makes sense people want to just Absolutely. trust that you can just do that one thing no, it totally does and you know yeah. it, Movies are the same. Yeah, I, would say, I would say it happens more in acting. Yeah. It's just like, it's one of those things where people, I've seen it, so I know you can do it, so yeah. that's what I'm going to yeah, There's a safety people. net there, and people aren't offering, you know, Rennie Harlan back in the day, sort of like beautiful indie dramas. Like, yeah. It's just, people get boxed, mm-hmm. and you can get trapped in that if you're not careful. And so, <laughs> two points, I think we wanted our first film to touch on so many different levels of our taste as filmmakers that we wouldn't get trapped okay because people aren't going to be like that is an overt sci-fi movie or that is an overt crime movie and that's all you can do so it was a very specific move to like no we like a lot of things and Mm -hmm. we're interested in doing a lot of things and so eclectic and dark and the type of movies that we like watching um usually more than one thing it's it's uh you know what are some of your favorite films and tv shows um for me, I go back to, you know, you've got a list in your head of what your favorite films are and you often don't update it. So some of these will probably be a while ago. But like Good Will Hunting, um, uh, Children of Men, uh, Seven, mm-hmm. David Fincher's Seven, um, Jerry Maguire, um, all, all of these type of films are dancing a line between... A lot of them don't get made anymore as well. They're right. Actually, interestingly, they all explore conceptions of masculinity, I think, okay. in a unique Interesting. Way. That would be the through line. That Interesting, I yeah. Which I is, mean, again, refracted in your guys' work. Uh, I wouldn't say we're the blokiest dudes. You yeah, know, no, 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 but, but I think, yes. like, it's masculinity, that's, that's a weird one because I'd have to go back and look at every spot we've done to really see that. But, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I could probably see that. There's, there's two of us, and so mm. I'm looking at John, John's looking at me. Mm. We're... we're we're reflected in each other. We just told a story about brothers and about three generations of men that don't understand each other. So yeah, I could see where you're coming from. I, I think some of our commercial work... Not to box you in. No, 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 no for no. sure, for sure. How yeah. dare you? <laughs> some of our commercial work um, goes to other places. I don't know if we. it's necessarily the stuff that we put front and center, but you're right. Mm. Um, some of the work that I'm the, the most proud of is probably more gritty masculine stuff like our Nike ad Your Nike and, and, and that's our, and the 76's that that spot sort of, and things yeah. like that. You're probably right. Um, but I guess the, those those types of films that I just mentioned are more than one thing to me. Yeah. Um, Jerry Maguire, for example, can't be... It can't be boxed It can't in, be boxed in. It's it like, what so, is that movie? Yeah. Like, Is it a romantic comedy? Yeah, totally. Or is it an emotional drama? Or is it a sports movie? Mm. Like... And so those type of things really jump out to me personally. And, and I really enjoy when someone kind of takes risks with genre and tries different things. I'm um, going back to the point about how turning down that film, what went through your heads and what gave you the confidence to say no to that opportunity where so many other people would. And do you think that was a defining moment in you articulating and refining your artistic identity? I think it was the fear of, signing on to something that wasn't 100% us and, you know, starting out in a, a new industry, Hollywood. The wrong way. The wrong way and always regretting it. Did you have I someone think, advising you? Or no, that, I think that, that there's a bit of advice that, you know, you've heard many, many times before. 
and we had heard it a few years before we came to the states and it was the classic sort of don't let allow the things you turn down and say no to to define you as mm. a creative not the things you do that's a good piece of and advice. you know i think we just didn't have any sort of anything to lose at that point as well it's yeah. like yeah that sounds like a really attractive offer but you know we have such promise in ourselves and drive and you know we have each other to look at and to uh hold each other's feet to the fire that like we don't need to say yes to an opportunity with the fear that it will never come again mm. because we kind of just know that it will mm. and yeah. the, the ending of that story is a good one because then he was if anything, impressed by that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, just, I that's think how you got was, your agent, right? Uh, this has happened to us a bunch of yeah. times in our life that you turn someone down to their face and then you, there's a certain level of respect and like, all right, well, that was a bold move. Mm. And that ended up going in a really good direction. We ended up getting something from it that was unexpected. And so in this case, the guy, the producer, who's a fairly well-known uh, producer in the industry, uh, said, so who's your agent? As a throwaway comment at the end of the meeting. And we said, we looked kind of embarrassed and just said, we, didn't, we don't have an agent. And mm. he was like, oh, okay, great. So let me introduce you to my favorite agent. And it was such a small thing. We almost was like, that's never going to happen. Like he's never going to follow up that with a, with a, a name. Mm. And then a couple of days later, he's like, all right, so you should talk to this guy. I've already chatted to him. I've shown him all your work. He's a fan of you guys. Uh, you need to meet with this guy. And I remember thinking, this is so too good to be true. It was almost a dick swinging thing at the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that we were just, really? And then the fact that it actually worked out and we, we went to LA, we met with this guy and we're yeah. like, man, this all feels too good to be true. The guy's really, this, the agent's a sweetheart and he loves our stuff. And we thought, don't we need to meet with like yeah, three like, other agents are, are just we, to compare? Yeah, because we, we got nothing to compare to. Are we going to be the guys that are literally going with the first thing offered to us right now? And so we shopped around and then realized that they were all assholes. And, and the people, the guy that we should be with was mm-hmm. the first guy. And he's still, and great he's still our agent. Ten, to, to yeah, nearly 10 years yeah. later. And that's, yeah, that's whatever that is. awesome wow. to think about because we haven't been the easiest clients. I mean, we he's offered us things. We've turned them down. We... Uh, we showed him a bunch of commercials a year and like, check this out. And he's like, Oh, I love them guys. You know, keep rocking. Right. But like, it was the long game. Yeah. And he knew that like, it's going to crack off and quite quickly said, look, I feel like the first thing you guys do is going to be very personal to you guys. You're just not those directors that are coming here to Jumping on quickly, you know, make a buck or a name. Mm-hmm. And so he, he was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's many, there's many pitches that came up of things that we were either asked to look at and we said no, or things that we went, oh, okay, yeah, let's look at this. And then it went away that I look back on. I'm like, glad we didn't do that. Glad we didn't end up the director on that one. Uh, glad we ran away from that one. And you look at all of that stuff that's out there. There's a couple that got away that we were like, oh, that would have been nice. But I'm really glad that we ended up in the way that we did and chose a project that was ours. And then now we've kind of defined our own lane. Yeah. Um, are you guys allowed to talk about what you're working on next? Uh, it's not about allowed. It's, um, some things are a little too premature to talk about, but, um, we're generally the guys that come up with our own concepts and we have a really inbuilt brainstorming capability. Um, and so we can bounce off each other really well and, and enhance an idea really quickly. And 
there's a few, I would say over five projects that we've got running in the background that were just ideas that either John or I came up with and we both kind of enhanced into something we really like and then just put it on the shelf of like, we'll come back to that one one day. And now that we're, I mean, we've been meeting with people for a very long time um, generally in Hollywood, but it's gotten beefier in the last few years now that we're doing a movie Mm. and every time we meet with someone and they're really cool and you're like, I like the types of, of movies that you guys produce and you're all really good individuals I'd love to have a beer with, we think about that shelf and yep. be like, what, could, circle what, back. what would be right for these guys? They're going to be eventually coming together and again. Exactly. Sometimes you pitch ideas and, and they're like, oh, that's, that's cool. And you're like, I got this other one. And they're right. like, oh, I love that. And yeah. you, you end up finding these homes for different sort of people that mm. do different material. So there's a few of those that have homes that we're developing. Some are in script stage. Some are about to be in script stage. Um, some are beyond script stage. All of that stuff. But um, we're interested in film. We're interested in TV. Whatever's got uh, a good voice and feels like us. Uh, the nuts and bolts of the writing process for you guys would be very different to some of the other writers that I've had on the show because you guys work together and you're two separate people. So is it a case, hypothetical scenario that you go to your office or wherever you guys meet up to sort of work on your projects? Do you talk more and then you've got, and one of you literally takes notes or do you ever do sessions where each of you are writing different pages of the same story? How does it really work with you getting the, words on the page to finalize your I don't know script. if I could define that. I think I think a lot of what would happen internally inside the head of mm-hmm. one person gets vocalized and you know I think that's natural that like we have to communicate yeah. to, to make something. Yeah. Uh, you can't sort of guess and you can't <laughs> no, assume. Yeah, just because you're I twins, think, you don't have yeah, telekinesis. I think it is yeah. proper <laughs> brainstorming though because it's like talking an idea out and then one of us will go, oh, it always happens. Yeah, one of us will go, oh, and I've got this great angle for this totally. and then you take that further down the, the line and it either works out or it doesn't work out and, and a lot of the time you say something and you realise that it doesn't hold water mm. and so quite quickly it either get I mean more than not yourself just says you uh, realise that's the like, process that's, of externalising something that, completely yeah, so when it comes that. to actually writing stuff down um, I don't know it's different every time I don't know if there's a, a specific way it works but like usually when you're beating out an idea like that, you just want to write it all down from A to Z and kind of just have it all on a page. So I don't know, it'll but, end up in a. But we're not we're not screenwriters, so we don't. Okay. Even though you're credited as a screenwriters of Kin, we're, we're not, not. We're not. Oh, you're not. We're not. Oh, my mistake. No, no, we. Uh, we're story pre- by, story by because you made Bagman, yep, yep. right? But no, but also because the next phase of Bagman was well, this is an opportunity to make a movie, even though we didn't sort of craft it to be a movie maker. Uh, let's sort of evolve this idea and, and come up with sort of how a longer story could could live. And we made an outline. We pitched that to, to the writer. Okay. So, you know, in that first meeting with Dan Casey, our screenwriter. And the writer yeah. was paired up with you guys through your agent or the producers uh, through, that came on board? Through a production company. So yeah. when there's different uh, stages of, of a development of yeah. a film like this, and one of them is finding your partners, and yeah. your partner is a production company mm-hmm. who does this for a living. And then the next would be the writer, and then the next would be the money. And the money could end up being a studio, or it could be independent. It could be coming from a range of different... Uh, credit cards it, it could it could be anything yeah and and so really it's just those three things 
is what you kind of need to find. Who's writing it for you? Who are you developing it with and having all your conversations as producers with? And who and where's the money coming from? Okay. And so with the writer, Dan Casey, we pitched him the whole film, basically. Um, and you had mapped out the outline. Yeah, we knew yeah, character obviously. names, we knew beginnings yeah. and first acts and second acts and third and, acts. And, and Dan's a very good writer. He would we'd all sit in a room, we'd talk about it a lot and then he'd go away and he presented back to us his kind of version of our story and some bits went down different avenues and some bits, you know, had a different ending and um, he introduced characters and, and, and the history of these characters mm. and things that we hadn't thought of and then you'd sit there and you'd brainstorm that out and be like, um, this works really well for the themes of the story but this thing, I'm not really getting where that's going and so working as a trio on this on this film, he's the screenwriter for sure. He put the words down mm -hmm. and uh, he did an amazing job. But we see ourselves more as story guys and that's, I guess, where that story by credit comes from. Mm -hmm. And do you guys work, does one of you work more from plot versus the other? Maybe works more from ideas or characters or you just sort of no it's a big no mishmash of merge of everything two brains yeah. like slam together it's not okay any and you might walk down the street one day and suddenly you just think of something else oh, that yeah. could be a cool movie yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. literally yeah. absolutely yeah or, or yeah. a dream there was just one recently a, dream, yeah. a lot of weird dreams that yeah. do that for sure there's been a couple of those but there's also we were at a restaurant just the other day with another director. We were just having dinner and we were talking about something we liked, and suddenly I literally would started watching a movie in my head of right. something we were talking about, and I was like, just let it go because you don't want to interrupt it, and so you like let it go, and then you're like, okay, there's an idea there, and I literally said to these dudes, guys, I think I just came up with an idea for a movie, and then I pitched it, and they both went, ooh, that's that's, cool. that's, that's a movie, that's cool, that's a movie, that's... and so that's where it starts. It's super <laughs> yeah, simple. It's it like is, literally yeah. a few sentences, and then you end up going, okay, what's interesting? about that story and then you can start dangling things around until you land on something and that's what we did with kid essentially we knew we had this short film and it was very simple there was there was more of a tone and a structure to it than an actual full-on fleshed out crazy story the story itself was very simple but then when you get when we're, we're talking to each other of what's the movie version of this short story you don't want to be locked in with handcuffs to what you've done in that short necessarily. You want to go, okay, take the feeling of this. Yeah. Where does it go? And yeah. so we went a number of different places. And by the time you start talking about, okay, further characters, where are they going to go? We started talking about family really quickly. And then, and then you're like, oh, brothers, that's really interesting. Maybe it's a completely contrasting brother that's, that's older and, and, and then you start talking about race mm -hmm. uh, and you're like, maybe he's white. Maybe mm -hmm. they're not even real blood brothers. And mm -hmm. so all of these things kind of flesh themselves out until you start smiling. And you're like, that's interesting to me. And that's, that's what happens in a room with us together right. before a writer is even involved. Right. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully they just come from a very similar place and like the same sort of tones and uh, it all works out. Yeah, if we didn't work together very well and we have different tastes in movies, this just wouldn't work. So we'd just be directors separately, I would say. Right. Was that but, ever considered the possibility in your various stages? Well, that's where career? we came from. Um, but no, I think we, we were kind of forced into a situation where we both wanted to go to New York and we okay. both looked at it like, so are we seriously going to be competing against each other in New York? Like, are you guys silly. Citizen, are you guys citizens now, or did you go no, over no. on like a, a visa? Still, John's or? still on a visa. I'm, I'm on my fourth visa. Josh's on a green card. Okay, but you know, it just felt like, do we, you know, just a numbers game? Yeah, like a lot of gut instinct. Like, would play. would yeah. uh, would 
Joel Cohen directing individually and Ethan Cohen directing individually both be at the same level success the level, same like, level of credibility awards directors like doing brilliant material or are they just sort of are they there because they're powerful together and that's part of mm-hmm. their talent and their charm and their and their voice so we rolled the dice and went all in on that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it seems to be working out yeah it works, yeah. Out, it works yeah. out well what's your relationship like with with Australia and your identity there you in, in the consistent through line aside from the things that I mentioned before in your work there seems to be I, I think like an American flavor and even the way that Kin's been marketed it has it's like an homage to American films yeah. and you had a pool to New York was there something that you just Australia and the sense of place in Australia I'm asking this, really for my curiosity yeah, yeah, I've no, never it's, it's, a, it's a good point right. I think yeah. <clears throat> I think we've never really had the most Australian accents, the most sort of diehard Australian uh, pride even. Like, mm-hmm. we, that's where we were born. It's where we grew up. It's it's our home. But, you know, telling a very obvious, stereotypical Australian story isn't at the tip of our minds necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about characters that interest us and, mm. and, and great stories and, and I the think fact it, that we're here it, it makes perfect sense totally I think that's got to do with a lot of things um, I mean you've watched a lot of American yeah I mean it's, it's definitely that, that comes into play yeah. um, we were in a household that didn't slant uh, one way or the other really like we weren't the English um, influenced household mm. which I know a lot of families in Australia that were and so they everything that was being intaked into that family like was, they hated American sitcoms yeah and, they, and it was they, all about only watch British like right. dramas and, mm. and and so we didn't really slant that way um, when we did watch TV and movies it was generally American um, we had a strangely uh, American upbringing in the way that you look at 80s films and you're like the, that like E.T. Stand By Me kind of, uh, Stand By Me is like period, um, th- that 80s aesthetic that mm. we all, Stranger Things, yeah, like that, yeah. That, that 80s suburban aesthetic kind of rubs off and I can see the Australian upbringing we had in that a lot and guys that we've met here in America and we start talking about childhoods and we're like, we all did the same stuff. Like, like literally everything, we could have grown up in, Pittsburgh like and so I don't know if it was distinctly Australian other than the fact that we lived in Australia and, and I feel very proud of Australia when they do well and when I see things that are that are um, magnificent out of Aussie filmmakers and Aussie actors I feel a sense of pride but I don't know I've been in New York longer than I've been in Sydney so yeah I, wow so so like it's all kind of shifted I, I feel Where a little bit initially well, all over. We were in okay. um, Newcastle, Maitland area for 13 years. Which is the, kind of the Hunter Valley yeah, in, yeah. in New South Wales. And then Perth for, for only for me, only seven years, six years, seven years. But we did high school and college there. And so that was very influential, but mm. not a lot of time. Mm. And then Sydney for seven years. And so I was in New York for nine. And your formative years as artist, I guess, is your 20s. So. Right. So yeah. which was split over Sydney and New York. Yeah. And so in a way... I don't feel a sense of home anywhere uh, because it's not, I just said it like 20 minutes ago, it's not New York anymore. And then I don't feel necessarily for Sydney that much anymore. And so it kind of had a bit of a gypsy sort of upbringing anyway. And so you just kind of adapt. We we even lived in, in uh, Melanesia for a while in the Solomon Islands. 
And so, like, we have stepped in and out of different cultures and different friends groups and different schools, and we just haven't ever felt like that. Yeah, my my parents live on the same street for you know the last fifty years or whatever. It's just never been like that. So I, I guess like we've just adapted, and I don't see it as selling out. It's more just like this is where uh, we've created families. My kids were born in New York. Uh, we now live in LA. And uh, yeah, just that's home, I guess. Yeah. Uh, pivoting a little bit before we wrap up, two two questions. Uh, one, what do you think makes a good actor or a good performance? And the second question for any filmmakers out there listening, what would be your advice to them? What makes a good actor a good performance? Uh, I have pretty strong opinions about this, so I'm going to try to verbalize them. Um, Commercial acting and feature acting, I feel like, are two very different things. So there are certain commercials that we would direct where we need an actor's actor and we need someone who can really come to set with ideas and you can really dive into what this character is. But that's very rare. So I would say 90% of the time for commercials, you are looking for someone that has a look, someone that is delivering on a certain feeling, Mm -hmm. then you want someone who is natural and sophisticated in their taste. So they're not going to give you Kmart stuff when you're trying to make a, you know, proper emotional ad. Mm -hmm. Someone who's their ability of just purely as an actor and their decision-making skills is high enough that you can trust them. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, anything he's going to do, I feel is going to look pretty great on camera. I think a lot of it comes down to the internal alarm bell of, and we talk a lot about, you know, my alarm's going off. And that's just the cheese factor, really. It's like, mm. right now, I know this isn't acceptable. This, yes, this, this yes. can't go in the edit. It's yeah. what it's we're doing instinct. right now. It's yeah. a gut instinct yeah. of just like, yeah. my alarms are going off. And that is the voice of a director speaking. Yeah. His internal voice of a director is saying, that's not right for me. And another director might go, that's great. And you're like, well, that's, what, that's your voice. Mm. So for an actor, I want someone who is on the same page uh, sophistication wise where we anything he delivers I'm going to go that's great mm-hmm. so that's commercials and most of the time that works pretty well um, you, you're kind of just finding moments um, and that can go from being someone that's never done a commercial before or someone that's an incredibly theatre trained actor I absolutely mean, they both have a place in that world yeah, and, yeah. And, and in a way it's less about their acting ability and more about how natural are they on camera and, and how are they getting how are they how good are they at coming up with creative moments that are going to help the story mm-hmm. so that's commercials and then when it comes to features I feel like we haven't done a lot of that we've done one feature and we've done a handful of short films where you really need an actor's actor and i would say we're pretty good at casting i think that's one of our strengths i think that's why our work has a certain voice because we're we're just not okay with someone who's not good enough mm-hmm. and like you said i wouldn't put that in an edit and so when it comes to that type of actor, you're after something a little different. Um, you, I don't want to tell anyone how to pick up a cup when it comes to an actor in a feature film. That's mm. not why I'm here and it's not mm. why you're here. Mm. Um, there's a lot more decision-making happening on the actor's side of where they want to take it and ultimately where we want to take it at the same time. And I think it's funny, but that never comes into advertising to me. And it's, that sounds wrong and like, and bad, but like, you don't really have the time or the space. It's a time thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if an actor's doing features and they're doing commercials, that's really weird to me because 
they, they, they're kind of doing two very different things on screen for both of those things. And I think it's great as an actor to be aware of that, to know that like, if I'm in an ad, they probably want this from me. I mean, if I'm in a film, they're probably going to want this from me. They're yeah. not the same thing. Yeah. Um, you have any thoughts? No, it's interesting to hear you talk about it. I mean, so many actors are doing commercials as well. So it is a great way of developing a subtlety. Mm-hmm. and a work ethic and a, uh, a speed of working as well because making commercials is such a quick thing. Yeah. You know, the, sh- the period that you're actually shooting them, the, uh, the time it takes to actually shoot a tiny little vignette that's not even a scene. You're not even, mm. like, half of the time there's not even dialogue. Mm. So yeah. it's just about moments. It's about moments. And so having someone that can understand what it takes to create a moment is very helpful for a director so that you're not puppeteering them the whole time. One thing I found on the film that, not that I struggled with, but it's definitely more on the front of your mind is obviously longer takes. Things are going for a long time. And when they're performing, my alarm bell goes off when something goes wrong in the performance and whether they felt it went wrong or whether it's just us as the directors feel like something goes wrong. And so you're, let's say the take is two minutes long, somewhere around a minute, they did something where I'm like, I can't put that in the edit. That's, that, that, that's just off for the character or for the story or that's just not what we're doing right now. And I feel like we had to be a lot more aware of those things as, as an actor was giving us a performance. 90% of it might be like right on the money, but then you'd have to dive in for take number two and try to correct that 10%. And without saying exactly what it is, you need to kind of walk them into correcting that. Always an actor will get in their head. Yeah, yes. completely. Yeah. Completely. And and that's one thing we learn as as directors going from commercials into a feature film is just the way to communicate to actors, to talk about the scenes with actors and and how you have multiple different styles of actors on set within mm-hmm. the same piece. Mm-hmm. And you need to talk to them all differently. Mm-hmm. I think actors might think that they have to come to a movie and if I'm working with Scorsese, then every actor has to be like, what's Scorsese's way of working? I've got to figure out how I'm going to fit into that. I believe it's the other way around. I feel like Scorsese is good enough to go, I know how to talk to this kid from Hugo very differently to how I talk to uh, De Niro. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But I think Scorsese is good enough to slip into whatever environment he needs to and, and give each actor what they need to hear to give the best That would mark a good director, I would think. I, I would say yeah, so. I would agree as well. And I think a lot of that com- just comes down to awareness of how people operate, how people feel and talk and absorb and ultimately put it out there for, mm-hmm. for, for the camera to pick up. I mean, it's all just human sort yeah. of dynamics, right? Yeah. And not being aware of that I think makes a, a bad dodgy director. Yeah, I agree. That's why when I hear stories of directors that are just like stepping in and being like, ah, d- uh, do it, do it louder. Like, like, what are you even saying right now? Because unless that is somehow the perfect thing they need to hear, it's probably not. I mean, there's a certain amount of subtlety that comes with that communication between director and actor. And like you said, I don't want to be getting in your head and getting in your way. Mm-hmm. So... A, I'm not telling you how to pick up the cup because that's ridiculous and you definitely do not want to hear that. And and B, I don't want to tell you how to 
read that line just because it's annoying me because that's going to like throw you completely. Yeah, we, we heard a director yesterday in conversation talking about how another director they were witnessing on set was um, directing talent. And it was like, I want you to look here, then look there, then do this feeling, and then and then walk two steps, and then Stop I'm like, that literally made, gave me anxiety. That gave me anxiety right now. Because I was like, <laughs> how do you perform that? Yeah. How could you ever be perfect doing mm. that? Because that director is like going two, three steps. No, no, I said two <laughs> steps. Like, it's so ridiculous. Um, I know that the filmmaking advice question is pretty generic, so maybe I'll rephrase it. If you could tell yourself five or ten years ago, piece of advice that what you would have told yourself five or ten years ago other than you're going to be fine um and that hard work will pay off is there something a little bit more specific as a director yeah as a director with respect to your directing career i mean a whole lot of cliches i guess but um they're all true i guess but they're cliches i mean believe in your gut and and your instincts is a big one because like so much of even this film experience you get to the end of it and you look back at all the times that you vocally stood up for something and you're like, well, I was right on that, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that. So you, yeah. you just start to go, go my gut's to... right most of the time. Right. And maybe that's the way it has to be because it's our movie, but that's part of it, right? You, yeah. You've got to like, I think if you were constantly listening to all of the multiple be thousands of yes. different voices that come at you during that process it's just not going to have a one singular voice. Mm. It's going to have everybody's it's gonna voice. Be diluted. And that's how you get really broad shit for everybody yeah. to enjoy. Mm. That doesn't and, stand and, the test of time. And one of the, one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, now seeing the feedback and all of that from the film is that it's not for everybody. It's a movie that a certain type of uncynical, open-minded, slightly sophisticated person really He's fucking loves for. and the feedback is just glorious and then a certain other group of people hate it and mm-hmm. that's okay mm-hmm. because it's art and mm-hmm. that's how it should be and that's yeah. how it really really should be so yeah yeah i agree and and it feels like we're living in a very cynical time where everything's a thumbs up or a thumbs down yeah and and it's like either really really good the best thing ever or really really shit shouldn't exist mm. and uh, I, you know, what you just said, I think is totally true. I'm glad that it's for some people and not for others, but I think there's also a million tones of black in between that, that it could fall on as well. And some people are going to take some things from it. Some people aren't. So it's interesting. You put a film out that you just spent three and a half years of your time on, and, uh, it's really up to the community to judge what they take from it. And it's, both really, really satisfying and really, really nerve-wracking all at the same time. Yeah, well, I look forward to the listeners out there who are yet to see Kin um, in cinemas worldwide at the moment and then yeah. eventually look it out, look out for it on VOD. Um, guys, thank you so much for being guests today. In terms of I think I feel I need a want, I'm, I'm guessing that the want and the need is to also maybe go for a swim or get some air conditioning <laughs> or something right now. That's probably still true. And sure. then maybe you can let us know what the thinking and the feeling is later on Twitter or something. Um, Josh and Jonathan, thank you. And then until next time, guys.